1: Hour number two underway now. Ten minutes past the clock. Thanks for being with us on AM fourteen twenty. The answer: It's Friday, and it truly is a free for all Friday. Now that we have our one guest uh, in the rearview mirror, thank you to Steve Moore for doing an outstanding job of analyzing where we are uh, from a, a variety of different angles. Uh, but now that we have that, we have truly a free for all Friday. Second hour is all yours. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. It's the twenty ninth morning. I didn't forget of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2020. And yes, 2020 is a horrific, horrific year so far for so many reasons. Schools closed, businesses shuttered, jobs lost, uh, virus spreading, people dying. Uh, now, uh, this horrific situation, race riots in the streets, vandalism, protests uh, that have become chaos, have become anarchy, all of these things. It's been a terrible year, but it is still the year of our Lord, 2020. And have faith. That's all I can say. Have faith. Uh, all right. So back to the point at hand. I started the show by saying this, and I want to repeat it for those who weren't with us at the start of the show. Three days ago, 72 hours ago, all of America, in my view, all of America, white, black, Latino, Asian, doesn't matter. All of the glorious ethnicities and races in this country. Um, were united in our condemnation of and our disgust with the death of George Floyd, especially the manner in which it happened. We were all united. This is terrible. We need to rise up and make sure that justice is done. And by rising up, we need to make sure our officials know that this is not acceptable and cannot be tolerated. How do we rise up? We rise up in peace. We rise up with demands that are made with our voices. Not with our weapons, not with our uh, most base instincts. We rise up the same way that Tea Party groups and other organizations have been rising up against Governor DeWine and the mumbling lab coat. We rise up saying, we want Ohio opened up, up again. We wave flags, we wave signs, we start campaigns, we go to the Capitol building, we make our voices heard. We don't block traffic And we don't smash windows, we don't steal TVs, we don't set fires. That's how we make our voices heard. That's how we demand a change to make sure that this sort of horrific police conduct uh, is not repeated. The good news, of course, is, is that extraordinarily horrific police conduct that we saw in Minnesota is extraordinarily rare. I stand by my statement that 99% of police officers wake up every day trying to figure out what they can do to make good things happen in their community. Saving lives, protecting defenseless people, providing services for people. That's why they do the job. 99% of them. The 1% of them who are power trippy. The 1% of them who are, uh, you know, have bad attitudes. The 1% of them that may harbor racist beliefs. And we don't know that about the guy in Minnesota yet, by the way are not to be taken uh, as, a, uh, you know, as a, you know, to be used as a, to paint the rest of the police profession with a broad brush. Sorry about the stumble. But you understand the point. That's not what, you know, policing is all about. And three days ago, we all agreed that's what has to happen. Make sure this doesn't happen again. Be loud, be vocal, but be peaceful. 72 hours later, which is where we are today, nobody even remembers the name George Floyd. I said this in the first hour, and I'll say it again now, if you were to go out there and survey all of the rioters, that's what they are, in Minnesota, in Denver, in L.A., in New York, in Columbus, and all the other places where this went on last night, and ask them uh, to tell you about George Floyd, they would say, who? Is he coming down here, too? Is he going to help me break this window? Who's George? I don't know, George. Nobody knows his name because now the story shifted from the tragic death, the killing of an innocent guy. And when I say innocent, I mean innocent of, of anything that deserved any kind of physical force. I mean, yeah, maybe he was passing a bad check. Whatever. That's not a nonviolent crime that should lead to a citation, uh, an arrest and, uh, you know, and a quick bail and, uh, and a quick resolution to the matter. But, uh, but he's an innocent guy in terms of what was done to him. And now his name is forgotten. Because now it's about new crimes being committed. First, there's the crime by the police officer who put his knee on his neck with a callous disregard for the man's life. And now the new crimes are being committed. Police officers are being assaulted. Police precincts are being burned. Stores are being looted. Stores are being smashed, also burned. Riders are setting fires and then standing in front of them uh, taking selfies because of how proud they are. They're smashing open ATM machines and stealing money. All in the name of what? Grief? Sadness? Mourning? The death of George Floyd? No. The baser instincts of man. Opportunism and greed, quite frankly. And the the will and the desire to cause destruction. People who are angry over the death of George Floyd don't go out there and cause destruction and create more victims. Because you know what I bet George Floyd would not have wanted? I bet George Floyd would not have wanted people in his neighborhood and people in his city to not have places to shop because they've been destroyed. I got a notification according to the St. Paul, where did it go? I think it was the St. Paul Saint Paul newspaper, but they have estimated that 170 businesses have been destroyed in uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul in the last two nights. Over 170 businesses. Number one, how are people who live in those communities going to be able to take advantage of the things that they need, you know, find the things they need if businesses are destroyed and close. And number two, in fact, there's an addendum to that. I, I saw somebody who had covered the Watts riots uh, in the 1960s, and they talked about how for months people had nowhere to go to buy a gallon of milk. Because every store, every convenience store and grocer in, in Watts had been, had been destroyed, looted, burned, or whatever. And there was nobody open, nobody working, no way to get supplies. It was terrible. Can't imagine it. So, number one, you're creating that type of crisis for your, your community and your people. And when I say your people, I mean literally your friends and neighbors, whoever lives in that community with you. And number two, um, you're creating an even more hazardous condition than the COVID virus created. (laughs) In other words, 40 million-plus Ameri- million, million Americans have filed for unemployment, and what have they done? They've created more unemployed, by like shuttering businesses that have been destroyed. People who worked at Target ain't working now. People who worked at that AutoZone, they're not working now. People who worked at that bank, they're not working now, and on and on. 170 businesses filled with employees now don't have any jobs for these employees to go back to. And it's Friday. And Friday night is going to bring more death and destruction, more vandalism, more violence. And I can't even imagine what tomorrow night will be. The fact that we're heading into a weekend now is most inopportune. Margaret is in North, I'm sorry, not North Olmstead, Northfield. Margaret is in Northfield on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Margaret, go ahead.
2: Hi, good morning, Bob. Good morning oh wow well first of all if i could say hi to my mother janet in in medina she turned me on to you about two weeks ago and i've been listening to you every morning since and well thank um, you janet for the
1: uh thanks to your mom for the testimonial i appreciate that
2: um yeah i wanted to start off Hmm. with talking about unemployment and um with the talking about the riots going on you know um my sister just sent me a A video clip over Facebook, and um, I think most of us kind of feel that this is not the residents of Minneapolis that are doing this.
1: Well, yeah, you know, you're right. That's something that not a lot of people are talking about. It is the residents of Minneapolis, a lot of them, a lot of them, but it's not all of them. You're 100% right. There are people who are being bussed in from other places around the area, around the, mid- the Midwest, and maybe around the country. Um, and, and, you know, Antifa organizations that travel from city to city whenever there is unrest so that they can continue and destroy and advance their own agendas. George Soros' organizations do this sort of thing. So you're 100% right about that it's not all minnesota residents
2: right it's it, it, and it just scares me but that was not the topic i wanted to touch on it was just um my situation i i listened to a gentleman i think it was uh, earlier last week where he was in tears and he was talking about his daughter's graduation and how frustrated and how sad it was and i think you you were really um Upset, and I was upset. I sat here in, at my kitchen table, and I cried. And this is what it's doing to normal, everyday Americans. Somebody like myself. I am fifty-six years old. I have worked for the last forty years. Um, I, my husband, my ex-husband, served in the military, and we divorced. I'm I'm shaking, and um, I moved here from, from Rapid City, South Dakota. Oh my God, beautiful beautiful that 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 state is doing it right those people are the most wonderful people on the face of the planet i'm going to tell you that well they're
1: smart people too because they had they elected a wonderful governor a governor who understands the best way to handle a crisis like this unlike the governor we have here in ohio
2: absolutely and so um i got out here and i went to work at the mgm and i watched that place close down and so now i am 56 years old, I'll be 56 on Monday, and I, for the first time in my life, I don't have a plan. I have a small retirement. I don't know if I'm going to have to suck that up. I am dealing with the screwy Ohio unemployment benefits, which is unbelievable. I mean, they are, they were actually dinged me for being a federal employee. I'm losing, I get them, I lose them. I get them, I lose them. They're not nothing it's unbelievable i am running a house i don't know and this is what it's doing and uh, when we talk about unemployment and how the numbers go up and i keep on telling people that's not even count i have friends that like quit their job one guy quit his job because he wasn't getting enough hours and he got pissed off and he quit it right before they shut down the economy i have another friend who was a contractor um a traveler um doing um sterilization and he went home and uh, to to he stopped his contract, and, and he can't get unemployment. How, I don't. I, how are people going to recover from this? We can't. I, I, there's no jobs. I can't even get a job at PetSmart if I wanted to. I I don't.
1: Well, it's, it's, let, it's, let me it's jump just, in here for a second, because I've, I've got to get to a hard break here. In fact, I'm already past it. So <laughs> I want to thank you for your first phone call to the show, and I hope you call back again. Uh, and uh, thanks again to your mom for, for turning you on to the program. Uh, you're 100% right about the unemployment uh, process and in, in the system in this, in this state. They were wholly unprepared. And this is something that really Mike DeWine and John Husted need to be held accountable for. They really do. If they were going to allow the lab coat, Amy Acton, to shut down all of Ohio's businesses, they knew they were going to have hundreds of thousands, if not a couple of million, and that's what we do have, people unemployed. They doggone well had better have the unemployment system set up to handle that massive crush of people calling and coming for benefits. And they didn't. And that's completely a lack of preparation on their part. And people like you are suffering for it. As to finding work, I understand the point that you're dealing with as well. There are a lot of people who are never going to be able to get their old jobs back because their business is closed. And they're all scrambling for what uh, few jobs remain right now. Uh, And uh, so I feel your pain. I wish I had an answer for some of your questions. But I do understand your frustration. And I really appreciate you calling uh, to talk about it with us. i got to get out. It's 1022. Back after this. Okay, ten we'll continue. Uh, open lines, uh, free-for-all Friday until 11 o'clock. We'll go to TJ next in Cleveland. Hi, TJ, go ahead. TJ, can you hear me? Hey. All right. Yep, now I got Hello? you. Go ahead. Yep, go ahead.
3: Yeah, you know, Bob, you're right. When the whole country come together, you know, to uh, condemn the act of this rogue policeman. But then...
1: TJ, still there? Do you... Your phone dropped. Okay, uh, let's go to uh, Navy Man Norm in Strongsville. Norm, can you hear me? Yes, Bob. How are you? Good, sir. Go ahead. Okay.
3: There's a double standard on this uh, police shooting and the riot. I think it was about three years ago, a black Somali Minneapolis policeman gunned down an innocent white woman who reported uh, a sexual predator uh, next to her house. The woman went out to the police car. The police car pulled up. This black Somali policeman was in the passenger seat. He reached across the front of the driver policeman and shot her dead in the uh, alley behind her house. It took months, months, before that black Somali policeman was brought up on charges. And he did eventually get sentenced to prison. But in the meantime, did you or I or anybody else hear about any riots? burning, or looting because of a Caucasian woman's death? No, absolutely not. And I can cite dozens of other incidents around the country where a Caucasian person, male or female, was shot and killed inadvertently or accidentally or maybe on purpose by the police. And yet, for some strange reason, I haven't seen or heard about one Massive, Caucasian, riot, looting, or burning? And that's the question I pose to the mainstream media. As they're beating the drums of racial flame, there's a double standard. And until they can address that double standard and maybe stop this in their tracks, and I am not condoning the actions, the insane actions of that police officer, or I should say the murderous actions yeah, at all, Bob, I mean, to me, this is this goes beyond the pale. And if that stupid Democrat mayor and stupid Democrat governor allows to continue, God help Minneapolis and God help Minnesota, because well, if they don't their state national guard and put an end to it. Now, they're going to be in big trouble.
1: Well, they did. They did call up the guard, at least 500 of them. I don't know if that's going to be enough for the thousands of people who are going to be out there probably tonight doing worse than they did last night. Uh, but let me say this, and Norm, thanks for the call. In response to Norm's point uh, about the woman, I remember the, the uh, incident he's talking about. What I don't remember is anything from Don Lemon. And I don't remember anything from Chris Cuomo. I don't remember, remember anything from Chris Matthews or from Joy Reed or from anybody else. And I'm talking, of course, about the MSNBC and CNN connection. I didn't hear anything from them about it. Not a thing. And you're right. That officer was uh, uh, convicted and that officer was sentenced to jail. And there were no riots. Having said that, I would also point out that these particular riots that are going on right now are not exclusively African-American. They may be led by African-American communities because they are screaming that this is about racism and that they're being hunted. Uh, that's what Joy Reid said yesterday. Uh, and uh, Don Don uh, Lemon says that there are two viruses killing this country now. One is COVID-19. The other is racism. So, yeah, it is led by uh, angry members of a lot of black communities. But if you look at these videos, there are... All- are a lot of other people there as well—white people, Latinos, etc. So I think again, I said this before the break, or I'm sorry, last hour rather, that um, this is just bringing out the bad in bad people. And I don't care what color you are. If you your first instinct is, or even if your second or third or fourth instinct is, "Oh my God, something terrible happened," I'm going to go loot a store. You're just a bad human being. And that, of course, transcends race. Bad, black, bad, white, bad, black, Latina. It doesn't matter who you are, you're just a bad person. You're a bad human being. And that's what I see out there is a whole lot of bad people taking advantage of an opportunity to be bad, to be evil, to perpetuate more crimes, and to create more victims. And that transcends race, clearly. 1030, back after the news. I've been waiting for this moment. I want to set the scene for you here. What I'm looking at is a video from last night's carnage at 11.07 Minneapolis time. This is an MSNBC reporter standing in front of a fully engulfed building. Uh, set the uh, uh, fires set by rioters uh, and anarchists, probably Antifa and others in Minnesota, and this is the way it's described by the MSNBC report. I, I, I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it is not. Uh, it is not, generally speaking, unruly. But fires have been started, and and it is not generally unruly. You got to see the video. The flames are roaring, and I'm talking about fully engulfed conflagration here. And this guy's saying it's mostly just a protest. It's uh, not what I would call unruly, although some fires have been set. Are you kidding me? 170 businesses in Minneapolis, St. Paul, have been destroyed in the last two nights alone, according to the uh, local newspapers there. Uh, all right, back to the phones we go at 216 901 888 Got a special guest on the line here. It says it's uh, Pete from Cleveland, and I and I think you're going to recognize this voice when you hear it. Pete in Cleveland, how are you?
4: Doing well, you know, uh, Bob. I've known you for a number of years, and it wasn't until Tuesday that I found out that you're Travis Kelsey's father. I was stunned by that. You never told me that.
1: <laughs> no, uh, no, no. That's fake news. That's what I would say.
4: Not quite.
1: Maybe the sixteen-year-old version to come, perhaps, uh, of him. Uh, but uh, that's that's quite a that's quite a compliment, Pete. I
4: yeah. Well, for those of you in the listening audience who don't know. Um, on Tuesday, on uh, on Channel 19, there was a uh, little uh, uh, kind of snippet of Jared France working out. And if you didn't know it, if you hadn't seen highlight films from him imitating Randy Moss or vice versa, actually, uh, <laughs> it was a big deal. And he was, you know, lifting gazillions of pounds. He was working out on the uh, what's known as the Jugs machine, which is a pass catching machine. And uh, this guy is a big time talent. How he's related to Bob, I don't know, but. <laughs>
1: Nonetheless. <laughs> uh, you're not the first guy to ask that question. Um, I, I messaged Peter Kersenow this morning before the show started, even though he already did his regular Tuesday visit with us, and I asked him, because he's been, Pete, you have been such a, um, uh, a, a, a diligent uh, student of, racial crimes and racial disparities in crimes and police-involved shootings and so on and so forth. Um, You've reported on them through the National Review, on air, on television, and on this radio as well. So I I asked Pete if he would come on to give us his thoughts on what happened to George Floyd, which, of course, I'm sure he will agree is indefensible, uh, and the actions that have been taken in the last 72 hours in reaction to that, which are also, Pete, I think, indefensible. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, I agree with uh, what you just said, your premise there. Um, I've said this before. I said it on Tucker show a couple nights ago that uh, you look at the video, and we've all been in positions over the last number of years where we've seen videos, and then we find out there's a little bit more to the story than the video. However, this is one of those situations where you look at the video, and you can't help but come away saying that this is just horrendous, and you can't even see any reason for an excuse of this. This is just it's reprehensible and defensible and excusable. Now, those people have been discharged, and you know they may be subject to prosecution, I know the FBI is investigating, the Department of Justice is investigating. Heck, my Civil Rights Commission may investigate at some point. Um, So this is just horrific. But here's the thing. Um, As bad as that is, and it it doesn't get any worse than that, the reaction to it, I think, is premised on something you just played. There's a narrative that's abroad in this country, and it's been perpetuated in large part by... Progressive, some progressives, I don't want to paint all progressives with the same brush, but the media, um, much of academia, and political opportunists. Uh, many of those political opportunists were in Minneapolis. Uh, you've got individuals who are trying to perpetuate a narrative, a narrative that is false. For example, um, I heard your last, I think it was your last caller, I just ca- caught a brief uh, bit of it. Mm-hmm. We he talked about, and I know who he's talking about because I've looked at this thing. Um, it was the shooting by Mohammed Noor, a police officer in Minneapolis, of Justine Rushik. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name because it has a lot of consonants in it. No disrespect yeah. to the decedent. But nonetheless, uh, this was a black police officer of Somali descent who had shot a white, uh, woman of Australian descent. In fact, she, I think she had immigrated from Australia. Mm-hmm. No riots. There was no big uh, I mean and this was an unjustifiable shooting, even his partner, who was seated in the car with him and he leaned across him and shot the woman, was just stunned by this um, but you know it hardly got any press attention whatsoever of course i 'm on the Civil rights commission, so I hear about these things but there was it was almost like radio silence, and this was almost it, it appeared, and this guy 's finally been uh, uh, arrested, tried, and sentenced. But it appeared so cold blooded. One of the reasons why you don't have the kind of outcry is, of course, there's a historical perspective that goes along with this. Um, but in addition, in terms of contemporary standards, you do have, and you just played a clip, the media. The media's out here calling just flat out riots. A little bit in a passive voice, they say, well, it's a bit of unrest, or it's a demonstration. It's not a demonstration, it's a riot. It's a riot that is fueled in large part by the false narratives perpetuated by political opportunists and the media. Sometimes I repeat myself. And that false narrative is, this is commonplace, what we saw happen to George Floyd. Um, It's reprehensible, but it is not commonplace. It is also the narrative that it is commonplace that white police officers shoot or or, uh, kill black suspects at a higher rate than than vice-versa. Now, understand, to my knowledge, George Floyd wasn't doing anything. There was some suspicion of forgery. It, yeah, it, passing a $20, it,
1: yeah, $20 counterfeit bill is, uh, right. is what he was uh,
4: Right, what he, what and what he's subjected to. We saw that video. That's just it, It's just craziness. But nonetheless, having said that, this is not an excuse of what happened there. In fact, it's a condemnation of it. But mm-hmm. it's also a condemnation of the reaction that is perpetuated in large part by the false nerve that's been created. You and I have talked about this, Bob. I've done this on the Civil Rights Commission. I've written a number of articles about this Uh, so if anybody's interested you can see the hard data i'm just kind of going off the top of my head but i remember this stuff fairly well as a preliminary matter consider that when you have these riots almost invariably they occur in hyper blue areas one of the reasons for that is because these hyper blue areas and their political leadership especially this particular mayor with whom i've had a little bit of interaction in the past they are these woke justice warriors who stoke this kind of false narrative. So their constituents start to believe this thing and feel justified in acting out like this. Then you've got these blue areas where they tell their police departments, don't act like police, just simply withdraw. Now, that doesn't mean that the police must engage in confrontation. I think that, you know, police officers use smart, tactical maneuvers to deal with this thing, and I'm not going to second-guess them. But that which gets uh, rewarded gets repeated. And you see police withdrawing, and you know it, it doesn't happen in every jurisdiction, all right? No. And maybe that's that's the the preferred tactic these days, but it, is, it sure hasn't stopped the rioting and the property damage. Well, that's both
1: you know what it does Pete I mean it's it's an impossible situation that the rest of the good cops are, are left with here because if they do anything to stop the violence stop the starting of fire stop the, the looting of stores if they try to come down and arrest people and the people resist which they will because they're emboldened by their numbers and then the police what do you have to do when somebody resists you have to then respond with force of your own perhaps even more force in order to win the confrontations uh, and then of course you've got more uh, accusations of police misconduct so they're they're literally torn between standing there and allowing a city to be destroyed and victimization to happen or try to stop it, but then put their, put their, their own safety and their own careers on the lines.
4: Yeah. Um, now, there are a number of people who are involved in these um, riots. Now, there are some who are engaged in legitimate protest. Don't see a whole lot of those right now, because across the country, what you do see are riots, property damage going on. But there are some who are... You know what I would legitimate. say
1: Pete about that if I may? This is what President Trump was talking about in Charlottesville because what you just said is exactly right. There are good people there. There are good people downtown in Minneapolis and other places protesting peacefully, holding signs, you know, uh, maybe uh, wanting to carry a candle, doing a little prayer or something for for George Floyd. There are good people there, but they are being drowned out by all of the criminals just carrying out their excuses or using excuses to carry out their bad actions. Sorry to interrupt. But yeah. I wanted to clarify yeah,
4: that's exactly right, Bob. And you know, 40 years ago, maybe 50 years ago, Edward Banfield wrote The unheavily City, and he had a chapter in there called Riding for Fun and Profit. Um, there are a lot of folks who are engaged in this thing that uh, it has nothing to do or very little to do with any outrage against what happened to George Floyd. I, heck, I would be out there demonstrating probably. But there are those who are, you know, what does looting Target have to do with anything? <laughs> you know it has nothing to do with anything and then there are the organized protests those individuals who for political imperatives are out there doing this some of them are being paid we've seen it in the past they've been paid by various organizations to do this and, and being bust in
1: from out, from out of
4: town that's that's exactly right don't discount that that is happening all over the country just because CNN and MSNBC don't report it doesn't mean it's not happening in fact the very fact that they're not reporting it, it almost assures that's happening at much greater levels than even you and I expect yeah. So you've got this narrative, this false narrative that is, to a large extent, fueling much of the the unrest. And the false narrative is that cops, again, let me premise it by saying that I am outraged by what happened to George Floyd. I don't see any excuse for that at this particular point. I am willing to wait to see what the investigation says. But man, I, I, I'd be stunned if it came out with anything other than what we saw on tape. Right. But this false narrative is that, uh, you know, cops, these horrible racist cops, are assaulting and shooting black suspects at a higher rate than white suspects, and that has been going on for a while. Now, you know there's a there's a, a history in this country of racial uh, tension. There's no doubt about that. That's not what this is about. But over the last thirty to forty years, the narrative that has been very cleverly perpetuated for political reasons is that cops are disproportionately seeking out and shooting blacks. That may happen on occasion, but the data show that just the reverse is true. In other words, that given the the percentage of black involvement in the type of crimes where there would be police encounters, it the um, number of shootings and assaults is actually understated. In other words, below what that which would be expected. Just to give you a couple of, of random stats, okay. And if we had more time, I could you know draw this out even more to make it abundantly clear because the stats are stunning. It's just the obverse of what the narrative that. Don Lemon and the the folks on CNN and MSNBC are talking about. First of all, cops are 18.5 times, in other words, 1,850% more uh, more likely to be shot by a black suspect than vice versa. Think about that, 18.5 times. But more importantly, in almost every jurisdiction you look at, Uh, black suspects are far less likely to be uh, shot or um, uh, the subject of police mistreatment or maltreatment than a similarly situated white suspect. There's a lot of reasons for that, one of which is that cops look at have seen what has happened over the last number of decades, and they don't want to be that cop who's in the dock. They don't want to be the guy like in Ferguson, you know. They don't want to be that guy. In fact, what we see is the stats show that black cops are three times more likely to shoot a black suspect than white cops. White cops are petrified for doing that. You know, that makes common sense. But what what's stunning is New York City, for example, uh, blacks in New York City are 17 times more likely to commit w- murder than uh, whites are, but only two times more likely to be the subject of a police shooting. Think about that. 17 times more likely to be involved in the type of conduct that might lead to a shooting, but only two times more likely than similarly situated whites to be shot. Um, that goes in Milwaukee, for example. Blacks are 76% of uh, the folks that commit murder there. In St. Louis, it's 60%. In Baltimore, it's nearly 60%. But far fewer, far less likely to be the subject of any kind of police shooting or police um, misconduct. So there's this false narrative that has political implications for certain parties, okay? And it's been perpetuated. It's also an ideological narrative, uh, because P- P- let, me those- P- let me share
1: this with you. Let me share this with you because you keep talking about the false narrative uh, and and your your stats. That's one of the reasons I called you this morning or messaged you because I knew you'd have the stats on this again. Here is the false narrative in plain sight, or at least in plain. It hit. is not. Plain uh, it is not generally. That's not it. Doggone it! I'm having a glitch here. I apologize. Hold on one second, and I'll share this with you. This yeah. Here here's the narrative in plain uh, plain sound.
5: Everyone black I know. Feels hunted. Whether it's a police officer bursting into your home and you're a 26-year-old EMT named Brianna Taylor, and it's one o'clock in the morning, and the police bust in and just start licking off shots, and then you wind up dead, and your boyfriend is frantically calling your mom and calling 911 while the police. Not saying who they are have busted in, and you think a stranger's come in, and you are now dead. Whether you're Ahmed Aubrey, you can't even jog down the street and you get chased by not one but two cars. And at first, prosecutors go, I see nothing wrong with that. Or you're this man, th- this poor man in Minneapolis. I-, I can't imagine how terrifying it is to die face down like an animal. Treated like you're less than human, not one, not two, not three, but four adults leaning on you.
1: Okay, the clip is longer than I needed to be, but it's Joy Reid, and what she went on to say is that what happened uh, in Minnesota is an example of what makes all blacks feel hunted, because they are literally sp- peddling the narrative, uh, uh, Peter, that you are, are uh, disputing right now with facts. She claims that what happened in Ferguson, and what happened in Baltimore, uh, and what happened in, in all of these other cases that we hear about, uh, you know, the accusations uh, against police officers, she's, she's perpetuating, all of, per- perpetuating all of those as if they were all George Lloyd's. And they were not. And and, and black people are not being hunted by anybody other than in the city of Chicago by other black people, which is what the numbers show as well. Pete, I'll give you one minute to finish that up.
4: Yeah, uh, that's a good point. One of the major major reasons that Blacks may feel hunted is because you've got people like Joy, Joy Reid perpetuating this narrative. That's precisely my point. God. When the stats show differently. That doesn't mean there isn't police misconduct, bad police misconduct. That happens, but it's a lower rate than that which would be expected based on police encounters with black, black suspects, and it's lower than for, for whites. There's an historical issue here, too, because there has been an egregious history in this country. There's no doubt about that. But that's a history that has been changing really radically and isn't the case right now. You almost get, I I, I tell you, I get... So much hostility for citing these numbers. They're numbers. You can't change the numbers. They are what they are. But this narrative has taken such a strong hold, it's almost impossible to dislodge. And yeah. if you dare to tell what the truth is, my goodness. Um, they hate you, you citing the hunted. numbers.
1: Yeah, they hate you citing the numbers because then other people will know the numbers. And that is exactly what they do not want because it disputes that narrative. Peter Kersenow, thanks for calling in, my friend. I appreciate it. I just wanted to get a great perspective, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this on
4: take, Tuesday. Take care, Bob. Say hi to Travis for me.
1: I <laughs> will do, my friend. Thank you, Peter. 1052. Right back after this. 10:57. final segment is a short one. Let's go back to the phones. And, uh, oh, TJ got cut off before. Let's get him up here real quick. TJ, go ahead.
3: Yeah, hi, Bob. You know, this talk uh, with this Joy Reid or something about the people, they feel like they're hunted. Well, you know that old white woman in a wheelchair in Minneapolis that got dragged out of her chair and beaten? Yeah. Disabled. I, I bet she felt like she was hunted.
1: Yeah. I uh, you think know, that in wasn't Cleveland a, a few experience. years ago,
3: I don't know if you remember, White people were being stalked and beaten, sucker-punched in downtown streets. I'll bet they felt a little bit like they were hunted. But you know what? You don't hear anything out of the media, no condemnation, nor the minority community when this stuff happens. I
1: mean, well you know TJ the person, shame of it is you're right and and, it, and thanks for the call it's a shame that we have to do that that's the thing three days ago we were all white black and every other ethnicity we were all united in this oh my god that was terrible justice for George Floyd now we're in the middle of black people saying this about white people white people reminding black people about this and that and we've turned it into a race war that didn't have to exist because it was terrible and wrong what happened to George Floyd his family deserves justice but now guess what else all of the victims of all of the riots deserve justice too. And every one of those riders, I hope they're all on video and they hope they all see their days in jail as well. Uh, because that's what's happened here. We've turned; They've turned it. When I say they, I mean uh, those who are looking to foster and foment discord in this country have turned it into a race war that didn't have to be because we were united a short time ago. Uh, Spencer in North Canton. I've got 40 seconds. Go ahead, Spencer. Uh, uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about uh Well, do you remember when Obama went on Letterman and
3: blamed uh, Benghazi on an anti-Islamic video?
1: Well, it wasn't just on Letterman. He and his, uh, his administration were all over every piece of media blaming it on a video. Yes, sir.
3: Well, I'm wondering why he didn't violate the Riot Act, as well as Susan Rice and Hillary Clinton, because they all used the same scapegoat to cover up war crimes in Benghazi.
1: So I agree well, with... Uh, they they did that, not just, said... war, not just war crimes, Spencer. i got to go because I'm up against the end of the show. Thanks for the call. Uh, but not just uh, war crimes, but uh, uh, obviously criminal negligence in the Obama administration. Uh, that's all the time I've got. Thanks for the uh, conversation today. I appreciate it. Be safe this weekend, please, and we'll talk to you on Monday. Bye-bye.